Stop the Press demo. Two for one tickets to the Wellness Summit are open. After not one, not two, but three salad events, Marcus, the Wellness Summit returns to Melbourne in 2016 for two days of powerhouse wellness with your favourite wellness couch host and Australia's wellness elite. Join us at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre on September 10 and 11 for an inspirational, educational, fun, exciting, sensational cocktail of wellness that promises to help you take your life to the next level. Now, two-for-one tickets to the summit are extremely limited and won't be available for long, so make sure you go to www.thewellnesssummit.com right now and get in whilst you can. This will be the biggest summit on record, folks. You'll see a 1,000 people there. You do not want to miss this one. Pop the dates to the diary and see you there. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. Hi team and thanks for joining us on The Real Food Real. Today I'm joined by Paris Little, strength coach who specialises in movement and strength and conditioning prescriptions for both specialists and generalists. I've personally been working with Paris for over a year now and he has changed my mindset to movement significantly and has been the catalyst in my return from injury. Hi Paris and thanks for joining us today. Steph, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. It's good to have you here. So let's dive straight in. Start with mm-hmm. us um, for us with a bit of your background in the industry and how your passion for movement has evolved in that time. Sure. So my experiences with training, uh, they go back a number of years from doing a lot of sports growing up, uh, boxing, rugby, really getting into trying to figure out and understand how you get good at something, what that process is. Um, And that's kind of been a theme throughout. So I've got background in CrossFit, Uh, gymnastics training, Olympic weightlifting. With each of those areas, I kind of get fascinated about how to go from a complete beginner to an advanced level in those areas. So that process is kind of what I get really, really interested in. And that's what I've worked on predominantly for the past five years is understanding the, the path that someone has to take to get from A to B, what is in between all of that, what those steps are. Yeah, very cool. So we'll certainly break down um, all of those areas today. I wanted to start, though, with the topic of why sitting is the new cigarettes. Obviously, it's a huge area that we're seeing become quite popular in, you know, health and wellness. And certainly we see, you know, even advertising campaigns now on the negative effects of uh, lots of sitting. Can you take us through your thoughts on that um, and maybe how we can uh, minimize the impact of a sedentary lifestyle? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. So I see sitting kind of like a, as a, it's like a symptom. It's a symptom of probably, I guess, a, a bigger problem, much like what somebody maybe snacks on with what they eat. So if somebody like habitually goes to a packet of chips or habitually goes to a chocolate bar as a snack, kind of like sitting is like the it's like the the movement equivalent of that or the training equivalent when you want to rest the habit that has been formed 
is to sit. So it's it, it's an issue that I guess goes a bit deeper than just the fact that we have chairs and we need to live in chairs. It's just that in our lives, we're very rarely exposed to situations where we have to move frequently, unless we work in a field that forces us to move all the time, unless we make a conscious decision to move frequently. So it's, it's sitting is one specific area, and it's really, really obvious. It's really easy to see that, okay, that's an issue. If you're sitting all the time, that's an issue. But I think it's more that, again, it's just that kind of habit that's been formed through not wanting to move or needing to move frequently. So what are the issues then if we talk about, you know, the general population who has a corporate job that might do an hour of exercise at, you know, the start of the day or the end of the day or even both, but they spend eight plus hours sitting and the, um, the postural changes that accompany that? Mm-hmm. So first, it's the consciousness that that's an issue. So mm. it's, it's kind of like a... It's, it's great that people take that first step of, okay, I'm going to train in the morning and I'm going to go for a walk in the evening or I'm going to try and move when I have free time. And that first step is really, really good. It's kind of like, the again, going back as like a nutrition sort of comparison of being able to say, okay, eat some greens, you know, maybe don't eat so much sugar and you're probably going to do some good stuff. So starting to train a couple of times a week or once a day or move once a day is great. It's like that initial you know, opening of the door to say, okay, this is where we're going to go. This is how we're going to start things off. But beyond there, people need to understand and be really conscious of what all their other habits are that go on throughout the day. So if, if my habit is to move really intensely for an hour and then sit for eight hours for the remainder of the day, it obviously doesn't balance out. I've only done one hour comparative to the eight hours of staying static. And the issues that we have there... I guess, compound, particularly if our activity is then also focused on a seated position. So we can use, I guess, like cycling as a comparison to that as well, where if my activity is to get up and go for a ride in the morning and then I go to the office and I sit there and I've sat on my bike for an hour and then I'm sitting in the office for an hour, then those issues kind of compound and our posture gets affected because that's our habit of movement and it's our habit of rest. So uh, the first step is consciousness that staying static for a, con- uh, for a continued period of time is an issue. Secondly, the, the, I guess the answer to that is trying to find ways you can habitually move. So how you can kind of create a habit of movement. So little, I guess, suggestions for that, like setting a timer or setting a, uh, an alarm or having something that kind of go off that every hour you get up and move is a great idea. Just trying to kind of incorporate that into your everyday life is kind of what you need to do first off as like the next step into undoing some of that seated position. And would you suggest that someone can do that within their office, like within the corporate environment? Yeah, and I think just being okay with kind of just doing some weird stuff. So <laughs> like people are in an office and I understand that that's a more uniformed um, you know, structured environment, particularly if you're wearing like a dress or something, it's kind of hard to, to sit in a squat if you're not wearing the right clothing. But just getting up and, you know, maybe you kneel for a while. Like I personally, I worked in an office maybe, I think it was like six years ago, I worked in a call centre. And nobody else would do this, but I'd be kneeling all the time, constantly kneeling or standing up. If I wasn't kneeling or standing, I'd be in a half kneeling position. Then maybe I'd sit in my chair for 20 minutes and then I'd get up and I'd move again. I'd get into a, a different position. So it's just that frequency of movement that's important. 
Yeah, and you taught me that a while ago now. And as soon as we started recording, I got on the floor and knelt because I am wearing a skirt, so I'm not going to sit into a squat today. But it is the change in position that I think is important to emphasize because it doesn't need to be that you stand up all day and neither is the expectation that you need to do anything that you necessarily feel uncomfortable with in a corporate environment, but you can stop the, you know, the same position being reinforced over and over again. Totally, totally. And at the same time, you should be okay to be able to sit for a certain period of time. Like That shouldn't be an issue either. And if you do get you know, soreness or stiffness through your body from sitting for 20 minutes, and there's probably some underlying issues there as well. Mm. However, again, it just goes back to what you do too much of. Um, you know, I kind of think about doing too much of anything, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. Obviously, that's going to cause some issue. I can eat you know, a whole bunch of kale, and if I've got thyroid issues, then maybe that's going to flare up something else that's going on. You'd know, you know a whole bunch about that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's you the know, bell curve analogy, I think, is really bell important. bell curve analogy, mm. exactly. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what it is. You, know, you can do too much of a good thing. and you know, Sitting just happens to be not that great for you. So if you're doing too much of that, it's going to really, really flare up a lot of issues. Yeah. For sure. And what are your thoughts on stand-up deaths? That we've seen a, you know, a significant rise in popularity over the last couple of years. Good or bad? I think it's a, I think it's a stepping stone to opening people's eyes up to the fact that they stop. Um, they're not doing anything for a long period of time. So, if you're standing, you're probably more aware of the fact that you are actually just staying completely still. And I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think it's the the ideal. You know the the. There is no like ideal, um, perfect necessarily posture or position for you to be in that's sustainable. You know, I've learned this from a physio, Anthony Lowe, who's taught me a lot over the years, and that's that there is nothing really in standing or sitting that's a sustainable position. Mm. It doesn't last. And, and you, can, you can stick somebody's shoulders back and ask them to tuck the tailbone and have some core activation or whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter because it's going to last 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes or an hour but there's still seven more to go. So the ideal position, the best position to be in is always going to be a moving position. Yeah, I love that. Cool. So let's talk about the benefits of being strong. So if we think about that from, you know, being able to support yourself in these particular postures, but also Mm -hmm. then the application to um, our general population and endurance athletes. So strength is it's a master quality. It deals with an impact in a positive manner many other areas. So if you look at different levels of uh, or different aspects of physicality, so if we're looking at flexibility, mobility, uh, if we're looking at being able to run or be agile or absorb force or impact or stand for a sustained period of time, whatever it is, strength can impact all of those things. So it's, it's why I'm so fascinated by working on different forms of strength and different methods of strength training because you get to deal with a lot of issues by focusing on that one thing, that one area. It's also what tends to dissolve and fade away the quickest when you do things like sit a lot or when you pick an activity that is endurance-based. So if you're sitting for eight hours and then your physical practice or your, your activity involves you doing something for a long, long period of time, strength training is kind of like the opposite end of that. So it's, it's often neglected because it's really, really common for somebody to feel like, okay, I want to get fit, healthy and you know, uh, start doing good things for my body. So I'm going to go for a big, long run every single day of the week. 
and they feel great and you, you know, you're doing something right, you're stepping in the right direction, but there's still something that's missing. So when you work on strength, you, you have a profound impact on a number of different areas as well. Have you got any thoughts on the disconnect? I see so many athletes that just want to do more running or more swim, bike, running. And there's this huge disconnect between the importance of strength and how that might be free speed or how they need to, you know, perhaps prioritise less aerobic and more strength. Yeah, for sure. So the unfortunate truth to that is that in my experience, 90% of the time, people have to learn the hard way. So the hard way is getting injured or the hard way is experiencing some sort of pain or discomfort. And that pain or discomfort, it could come from a really poor performance or it could come from you overusing something or having poorly prepared a part of your body so it then ends up hurting. So again, it's kind of, you usually have to you know, learn that, uh, go down that difficult route and learn that way first before you look for what the actual solution is. Which is obviously why people then, you know, in another aspect, they people get overweight, and then they realise, shit, you know, I really want to deal with this. I'm not, I'm not happy with how I'm looking or feeling. I'm going to have to look to, you know, somebody to help me out nutritionally to try and fix this. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And I think, you know, I put my hands in the air for that, learning the hard way, and it's one of the big reasons why I wanted to. A, have this conversation with you, but B, share my story of my injury and, and what I've done since then because I don't want other people to have to go through what I did. Totally. Yeah. So that's part of it is like understanding that the most it's, it, you know, you can educate and people can understand things, but it's kind of like when you try and tell somebody to read a book. You're like, I've just read this book. You've got to read it, check it out. And people usually just put it off and they put it off and, and eventually they come around. So there's usually that sort of process that somebody has to go through. Learning the hard way is one way to kind of speed that up, unfortunately, mm. and then get somebody to start working on something that they should be doing, whether it be mobility or strength. And the other thing is just focusing on the performance aspect. So when you see somebody go from uh, um, you know, performing something in X amount of time, going away, working on some strength and then coming back into whatever that sport is and performing better, then that is, that's far more exciting and it's, it's, a, it's a more attractive thing to work towards than just saying prevent injury because until you've had the injury, like you know, you don't really take it seriously or respect it. It doesn't mean anything to you because there's no feeling attached to it. Unlike when you have the injury yourself and you, you feel it and you're like, okay, shit, I have to deal with this. Like I, I can't let it go. Yeah. And so you and I have spoken about this a lot in terms of how being an athlete or playing a certain sport does not equal health. And, you know, in my work, I see that quite a lot. Um, you know, fit doesn't equal healthy and, you know, you would see that in um, a similar yet different way. So talk to us about that and maybe how, you know, your approach is more well-rounded so that there is that focus on, on health and wellness as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, sure. So what I see um, that has happened since I've been involved in the, the fitness and like strength training industry over the course, say, like the past six or seven years now, has been that initially, let's say, yeah, eight to ten years ago, and even sooner and still in some circles, there's a big focus on let's do something to make ourselves look better. And that was great. That's, you know, I understand that. And that's usually the entry towards you know, doing some good things. From there, the the focus and emphasis started to shift and has shifted more recently to, okay, we need to perform 
to get those good looks or you know the to look better naked or whatever it ends up being so people started focusing on performance really really heavily once performance became a focus other things started to drift to the side a little bit and people see the elite in a certain speciality as the healthy which definitely isn't the case you've only got to look at elite level powerlifters um, and the things that they necessarily have to do to perform at their peak which might be eating packs and packs of Doritos to put on certain amounts of weight just to simply get stronger. That could be, um, which could be awesome if you love Doritos, but it's, um, it's probably not going to be the healthiest thing for you. Or it could be the opposite end of that and just running and running and running and developing one aspect of your physicality that then it makes you very, very good at that one thing and that, that one area, but there's very little balance in your body. And it's when you start to drift too far one way or the other that there becomes an issue when like you know, your body goes out of balance to a certain extent there is no like perfect balance in the body you know that's not such a thing we're always changing and adapting and evolving and doing new things and picking things up but when we just continually expose our body to one thing all the time and we go way out of balance that's when it becomes an issue so if we drift way towards performance and we really really start heavily focusing on performance in one specific area many other things go out of balance. So the, the thing that I like to do and the, and the area that I like to work on is taking somebody that has a speciality because we all need to do something that we love, like I'm totally into that. But we need to work on what we can do to try and minimize the effects of that speciality. So if you're a runner, then doing lots of strength training is gonna be an excellent thing for you. If you lift really, really heavy weights, it's gonna be probably a good thing for your heart health and your cardiorespiratory system to maybe just go for a walk every now and again. It just works on that opposite end of the spectrum. If you strength train all the time and you never do any sort of mobility work, then that's probably the thing that's missing as well. And all that does is just bring you into some type of balance. And balance is measurable. You can't say whether it's perfect, but it's just in a point where it's going to be a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, and I think that comes back to the bell curve conversation again. You know, it's that, that optimal area so that it's not too excessive in either way because i think as you say like then it becomes unbalanced mm. yeah exactly exactly so let's dive more into strength training i wanted to get your thoughts um firstly on crossfit because i know that's um something you've done certainly in the past um yeah. and then let's touch on f45 which seems to be um uh, best thing since last bread <laughs> apparently so if, let's start with crossfit yeah sure um so yeah i was involved with crossfit for a number of years and still am um i train and program for many crossfit competitors i work with them from both a performance standpoint and also from the standpoint of trying to balance out their bodies in that they are subjected to a somewhat specialized field of competition so it's it's to me uh, an excellent, excellent, excellent place for people to venture into. Um, I think training at a CrossFit gym that's been ran really well, um, that involves a, a system of assessment for the individuals that come in and also involves regular check-ins with those individuals. Is, it, it, I think it's a really, really good thing for people. And some of the benefits of it and some of the pluses for CrossFit are that people are exposed to relearning new movements regularly which is something that we don't do often, particularly if all that we do is just ride a bike, go for a walk and then sit down. You know, we're never picking up new physical skills. And that's something that's a great thing to do and I really, really enjoy that about CrossFit. The, 
the area that I like personally to try and separate is CrossFit as a sport and CrossFit as a, a training modality or, or just, a, just a hobby or a, a physical practice that people enjoy. So if you really, really enjoy doing CrossFit, that's great. But if you're trying to do it with longevity in mind, doing it with performance as the focus or competition as the focus is where there's maybe in my mind just a, a little bit of a, a bit of an issue. Because again, it's when we start to drift too far towards trying to perform and performance in CrossFit is doing something faster, quicker or more of than somebody else that you start to find loopholes in movement quality and you start to do things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise do. So that's maybe like the first, like I guess, you know, issue of source that I have with CrossFit. And those sacrifices for, a, for an athlete or a competitor at a high level, I think, you know, based on the person, they can make that decision whether that's worth it. And they can say, okay, well, look, this is going to be the difference between me going to the CrossFit Games, which is a you know, high-level competition, or me not. So I'm going to make this sacrifice in my health to do that. Right. But it's just when the, they, those lines get blurred between what is a sport and what is a training modality to make me healthy and, and fit and active. So is that where some of the criticisms come from, do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think there's misunderstandings as well. I think people... Um, maybe expect too much from something that's so young. You know, I've, I've been involved, as I said, in CrossFit for the past five years and, and things evolve and get better and better and better every single year. You know, like new things come in. It's, um, you know, it's excellent. The whole idea behind CrossFit essentially is just doing lots of different movements. And that in itself, that is just that as a very, very simplistic sort of like theory or idea is great. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all because unless you are trying to be a top level athlete, then Really, what are you doing something for? You're doing it for you know, enjoyment, you know, for one reason. Um, it sits well with you. It's something that you know, excites you. And ideally, it's something that you're going to be able to do for a long period of time. But if we're doing you know, cross to, to compete, you need to see yourself as a competitor. You, know, you kind of need to draw the line a little bit in the sand and say, okay, well, this, this is what I'm doing. I'm not actually doing this for longevity. I'm doing it as a sport. Yeah, good point. So F45, for those that don't know, just give them a little bit of a concept um, first and then um, your thoughts. Um, well, I don't actually know a whole bunch about it from, a, from like my personal experience. I've mm. seen different things. Um, to me, it seems like, a, again, a really, really good uh, entry sort of to wanting to train. It's exciting for people. I think it probably gets people into into doing something. Yeah, it's it's not too different from what I can see. It's like any sort of like pump class or circuit class or anything like that. In that, there's just a bunch of pre-planned sort of like circuits people run through, and they do a whole bunch of different things. And and again, that's great. But I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing. I think things like F45 or pump classes or spin classes they become an issue when people stay there for ten years. So. It's when, when somebody stops themselves there, they just say, okay, I've got my thing. I've got, you know, the spin class three times a week and I'm sweet, I'm fine, I'm, I'm done. That's when there becomes an issue. Um, and F45 is kind of like it's, it's a good place to start. But, you know, my hope would be that people start there, realise that there's a lot more that they can develop and a lot more that they can look into and they can move on from there. Um, it's, you know, if your goals are to just get hot and sweaty, it's probably not a bad place to go. Um, but you know, beyond that, um, if you're looking to try and increase your performance for a sport, I know there's a lot of footy players involved with their 45, but there's absolutely no way I would send any rugby player, football player or any other type of athlete to F45 to get their training done. 
but for somebody getting off the couch and maybe they haven't moved in a long time or done anything in a long time and they just kind of want that initial hit of movement and just to feel good and whatever, it's fine, go for it. It's kind of like, um, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just a good place to start. It's probably what I'd leave it at for 45. Yeah. But comparative, yeah. To, you know, comparative to CrossFit, I think it, it leaves out intentionally a lot of the technical aspects of, uh, of movement, which to me is some of what's good you know, within the world of CrossFit, which is learning new movements and developing new skills. And a lot of that, a lot of wanting to learn those things, I think comes with maybe like training age and maturity. So if somebody's gone from doing no exercise to moving and doing some training, and if they've been doing F45 for six months, Essentially, they're the same as like an infant. That's like a six-month-old child in their you know, age. And they, they kind of almost need to be treated as such. Like, I can't get mad at somebody who's doing it 45 or six months if they haven't done anything ever before. It's like, great, good on you. Like, I'm, I'm happy about that. You're moving. But people need to want to, and, and they will eventually start to mature. You know, like they start to go through, okay, I've done F45. It's not heavy enough. It's not technical enough. I'm going to do CrossFit. Fantastic, you know, like you're picking up some new things, you're, you're venturing out into something else, which is also great. And then, you know, what I've seen is that eventually people kind of get a little bit like stagnated or bored with, you know, what's going there in the CrossFit world. You know, they're neither trying to be competitive, nor are they trying to be exceptionally, um, you know, good at Olympic lifting or movements under fatigue. You know, that's not something that they want to develop. So they, again, they kind of branch off into something else that they enjoy. They start to get a little bit more mature in their training and, and they think, what can I sustain and continue with for a long time? And, and it evolves and people move on and they get into something else and something else. And I've seen that with so many people that have gone through that sort of you know, stream of pump class to CrossFit to, to something else, to, to learning about something else that they can do. Yeah, I think it's a good point. And we see the same thing with you know triathletes who might – start with a generic program or they're in a squad environment the majority of the time they get results because they're a beginner and doing anything is better than doing nothing but it gets to the point where you know most athletes feel like they then need something personalized to take their performance knowledge skills to the next level so they would then invest in a a coach or a program that was personalized exactly yeah which is a which is a really great point because i think that's probably um among other areas, that's probably what I feel is missing the most from any group training environment mm. is, is individualization. And you'd know from like the amount of time that we've worked together that everything that you do and everything that, like whether it's a movement or a certain rep scheme or time that you work on, it has to be tailored to what you need. And that, that does just get missed in a group environment or a team environment. Now, like if you're playing a sport that's a team sport like footy, well, sometimes they miss out on that because of the nature of the job. So, you, know, you can't really avoid it. But if you are looking to, to benefit yourself and do what you need to do, then individualization is key. That's exactly what, what should be a part of what everybody does. And anybody that I know that is a, is a coach or a teacher, whether that's yoga teachers, strength conditioning coaches, gymnastics coaches, each of those people end up giving themselves some sort of individual attention or individual work. But what often gets missed out is then in the prescription of the groups that they work with, those individuals in those groups don't get that same individual prescription. They don't get that same sort of attention. And that, that is one of the, the things that does, I guess, get missed out on in any sort of group training situation. Yeah, I completely agree. So I wanted to talk to you next about the term metabolic conditioning. Again, you and I have had some conversations about this term and how maybe it's misused. Um, 
I wanted to get your thoughts on that and how it's important um, and some of the metabolic benefits of metabolic conditioning. Sure. I probably prefer the term energy system training as opposed to metabolic conditioning because I guess everything's kind of metabolic. There's, there's a, every sort of movement, everything that we're doing, it's, it's a very broad sort of brush and you can, you can put a lot of different things under that umbrella of metabolic conditioning and the, the training modalities that you can use under that could be pretty much anything in any direction. Whereas when I look at things from like an energy system training perspective, we can then identify what the desired outcome is and we can start to pick the energy system that we're looking to develop. And the reason why I like to get things a little bit more specific is because if you're looking to train for a specific adaptation and you also then have lots of different stresses going on in your life and your body as well, if you don't hit the, the exact energy system that you're looking for, if you kind of mess that up a little bit with the intention, you still might be getting some metabolic conditioning, but that specific energy system isn't getting developed for the specific task that it needs to be. So you kind of miss out. So that's how I see that term misused because you could be like, yes, I do metabolic conditioning three times a week, but what does that mean? What are you actually doing within that? So if I'm writing a prescription for somebody that is a CrossFit athlete and they, I know that they need to be prepared for usually aerobic activities. You know, I'll program an aerobic piece and I'll make sure that the intent of that, uh, that workout stays aerobic so it's sustainable. If it's a, a lactic piece, so something that's really, really short, it's unsustainable, I'll make sure that it stays a lactic. So there shouldn't be like you know, wanting to throw up from that. It should be just really, really hard and fast and powerful, maybe only lasting 10 seconds long. But if I don't give those sort of like a, um, those specific guidelines and if I don't look at it from an energy system standpoint as opposed to just throwing it all in as metabolic conditioning, then you can kind of blur the lines between the two. And that's where you have issues in adaptation or progression or uh, overtraining or stress or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that's an interesting example because we can relate that to what I call the black hole for endurance athletes. People train... Um, too hard but not fast enough to get quick and not slow enough to build their base and their heart and everything else along with that and they sit somewhere in the middle and they wonder why they plateau. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's kind of similar in, in how you need to be quite specific with what system you're trying to target so that you do get the, the um, outcomes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And particularly for people that want to like drive hard, they want to go hard. Because if you have somebody, like in my experience, if I give somebody an aerobic piece that goes for uh, in between, say, 20, 30 plus minutes, but they're, they're, just, they're mentally kind of like geared to just go really hard. They don't pace that effectively. They blow up too soon and then they go, yeah, to that sort of like that black hole where it just like feels really bad and they're not getting the stimulus that we're looking for, which is something that's maybe longer, slower and very, very sustainable. So they kind of, they, they just miss the boat altogether. All so absolutely, you really, really need to be like clear and concise on what those guidelines are. And for, for like any coaches that are giving prescriptions, like giving a detailed um, outlook on what something should feel like as well, how something should be um, performed, you know, is, is really often missed, particularly in just uh, conditioning prescriptions where somebody might get an interval sheet where it's 20 sets of 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, but there may be very, very little guidance that just says just go for it. Um, it's it's common in strength training to give like a prescription or like an RPE or those sorts of things. But it's certainly within um, the realms of like uh, metabolic conditioning when that term's used, things just get a little bit blurred and it just becomes like just a, a very loose 
prescription far less specific. Yeah, so if we Google the term metabolic conditioning, it really just generalizes it to be um, structured patterns of work and rest. So like you say, 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the, the overarching aim of that is to help improve the, um, the fat oxidation and certainly the performance benefits um, from the energy system targeting. But I think what you're saying is that often um, the, the work to rest ratios aren't quite right for that person for the targeting of the right energy system. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So it's kind of, it just, it makes things too gray too often. Mm. So then we can't really call metabolic conditioning when you do like one minute on one minute off, which you might see a lot in an F45 or in a generic gym environment. Do you agree? I would say that just using that term and using that term alone is where one, like education stops. So somebody looks at anything that looks remotely like that and all of a sudden they think they're doing metabolic conditioning and it becomes this blanket term that just gets lost. So if I first educate somebody on what it feels like to move aerobically, so I start down like at the kind of slower end of that spectrum and teach them what that feels like to move sustainably just by walking three times a week, they know that that's sustainable. And then to simply ask them to, to jog maybe or walk a little bit faster and go at like a conversational pace, they, again, they feel that that's sustainable and that's an aerobic piece for them. Whereas if I was just to give them 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, as somebody who doesn't have much experience in the conditioning world or training, and this could be anybody going to F45 or a CrossFit gym, if they don't understand what they're looking to try and achieve in that 30 seconds and they're doing that for 20 cents, they're likely to go for you know, the first five sets and they're killing it. And they're going maybe at like 100%, they're feeling amazing, like, great, I'm doing it. And then it's just a slippery slope down into some fatigue-based training where they're not getting that desired stimulus. So if you just call it metabolic conditioning and you don't educate them on what is actually going on, then, okay, we're training aerobically or alactically or wherever you're working, then they just don't know. And they, they don't really get the benefits that they could. Yeah. So does a Tabata workout fall under that umbrella? Absolutely. So let's Absolutely. talk about let's talk about Tabata and then I want you to go through what you think the the actual benefits are if we talk about like the term afterburn or oxygen deficit that we might hear being thrown around. Mm -hmm. So Tabata, it would all come down to who the individual was and why I was giving them a Tabata protocol to work through. Now, if I put, it would definitely fall under the, the umbrella of metabolic conditioning, but it, it would be irresponsible to give that short of a dose of work to somebody who wasn't, A, just innately powerful enough to elicit the desired response, and B, maybe hadn't even built up throughout their training to get there. So the, the Tabata protocol may work really, really well for somebody with a high training age, it may work well um, with all of those benefits that you mentioned, mentioned before of kind of like, you know, um, like EPOC and everything else, but it's, it's only going to work really well for somebody that can really hit that sort of intensity in that short amount of time frame. So for everybody else that's coming in, maybe they're not very strong, maybe they're, they're not uh, yeah, just powerful enough, they're not going to get those benefits from it. So it really comes down to the individuals why you would prescribe that. Just for those that don't know, it's, um, the protocol is 20 seconds all out and 10 seconds rest. I believe it's eight rounds. Um, 
But that EPOC that you mentioned as well, just for those, it's an excess post-exercise oxygen consumption. Um, and that's the certainly the oxygen deficit that can be created after strenuous activity that starts to have those sort of desired fat-burning effects, yeah? Yes, correct. Cool. Very interesting topic, but again, it always comes back to that individualised prescription, which is um, certainly your specialty. Um, so I wanted to move on to next just um, something about, you know, more about mindset, I should say. So if we think about how um, an injury might change someone's mindset and goals around strength training, how would you sort of, I guess, influence the person to maybe look at movement a little bit differently and start to see the importance of um, strength and a personalised prescription? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, firstly, it, I'm yet to be able to talk to somebody who hasn't gone through some injury, some frustrations in training, and you know, convincing them that they need to do X, Y, Z to try and help them out. Like, like I said, people have to learn the hard way. So, the the majority of people that I that I speak to that come and work with me, you know, like yourself, have gone through something like that. That then opens their eyes up to the possibility of doing something different. Otherwise, the, the first thing you have to do is, I guess, open somebody's mind to all of those ideas. So, you know, figure out what their personality is like and figure out, uh, you know, what is it that's going to entice them. Now, I might know that somebody really, really needs to deadlift for, um, you know, just health, for, for posture, for, you know, reduction of back pain, whatever it may be. You know, they need this certain exercise under this prescription for this reason that's going to help them. But if they haven't experienced any sort of like pain, discomfort, or loss of function yet, then I'm, I need to kind of figure out what it is that they want. So all of a sudden, a deadlift, that movement becomes something that's enticing because of its fat burning effects, or something else that I know that that person might be interested in. They might want, I want to get bigger muscles. Well, great, guess what? This is going to help with. So the kind of firstly needs to be either the person wanting something new, or a little bit of a compromise on my half as the coach to just. I guess kind of like give them what they want, but also give them what they need. And then once that happens, it just becomes a process of exposing them to more and more and more and more and seeing change there, seeing some sort of result in the direction that they need to travel. Yeah, good answer. I think it's important that, yeah, I guess your job is to then educate the clients more rather than it being that environment where someone feels like um, the goal is only aesthetic or it's only just to feel hot and sweaty. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And environment changes that greatly. You you can see somebody's mindset change from walking into a gym that's really, really competitive, you know, really focused on, okay, we're going to be the best, we're going to do this and, you know, be the best in this area, we're the strongest gym or whatever it may be, to their mindset changing when they're in a more relaxed sort of, um, yeah, just chilled out sort of environment as well. They can be a little bit more open. They can, um, you know, feel a little bit more relaxed. And then maybe be a bit more honest about what they truly want as well. I think that's the hardest thing for for most people in in training. People don't necessarily know exactly what they want. They, they might know what they want now, which could be to you know, do something faster or better. But in five years' time, it's really hard to predict what you want and what you're going to want. So there's um there's a great drill that I've heard a couple of times now, which is just the asking yourself why something and asking yourself repeatedly why so you know why do i want to get stronger 
okay, well, because it makes me feel better. I'm like, why does it make you feel better? Well, it makes me feel confident. And you just keep asking yourself, you know, why, 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 until you kind of get to the root cause of why you want something. And if at the end of that, you know, you feel that, okay, great, this makes sense for me, and I know that this is going to be lasting and something that I can work on continually, go with it. But, you know, sometimes what happens is you get to maybe two or three or four whys and you realize, well, actually, what I'm doing at the moment means nothing to me. It's just what, you know, the environment I'm around currently promotes, and that's why I'm doing it. You know, social circles impact that. You have a friend who's a runner and you're like, sweet, let's go running, and you just start spending all your time running. Nobody around you is doing any strength training, so that's all you do. You just run, and, and that becomes like the pinnacle of what the, the, the healthy people around you do. So you start to do more of it, you just do more of it, more of it. But eventually you need to go back to why you're doing something, what you want to get out of it. And it's when somebody does that, that's when they really start to kind of like venture into a field that they enjoy and they have fun with. And that involves change. But you know, usually once that happens, good things start to happen. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I certainly don't want to run more and more and more, so I'm glad I found strength training. <laughs> And I've seen the other thing happen as well. Like I've worked with people that have gone from you know, just lifting weights and that's all they did to all of a sudden just doing yoga all the time. And it's I'm really into um, and in favour of and would encourage people to, you know, to find that one area that they want to work on. What's that, that passion for for me and a lot of the people that I work with at the moment? It's you know, gymnastic strength training and body weight movements and exploring that. But just having some foresight and knowing that I'm probably not going to stay there forever. It's going to be something that I want to learn about to you know, 70, 80% of my ability and then move on to something else. And then during that time that I'm working on something that I really, really enjoy, making sure that I notice the things that I'm probably missing in that practice. So for me, I really don't get a chance if I'm only working with my body weight to load my lower body really heavy. You know, I don't get to do many squats or deadlifts. So I still supplement my training with those movements. You know, much like if somebody makes the choice to be a vegetarian or a vegan, they may need to still take some type of supplement to get all the nutrients they need to do. You need to do that from a training standpoint as well. Yeah, great analogy. And I was going to ask you actually, tell us what you are up to with your movement. Um, you only need to look on your Instagram feed or your Facebook page to see how well you do move. There's some awesome videos on there and uh, very inspiring stuff. But what are you up to with your training? And then what's your favorite sort of movement or exercise at the moment? Yeah, so I kind of um, like alluded to this at the start of our chat that exploring how to get somewhere um, mm. is something that I really like to do and particularly something that I can't do and I find really difficult. So Within gymnastic strength training and body weight training, different movements like front levers, uh, straddle planche, uh, and cross, you know, like a, all just different sort of more semi-advanced or you know intermediate sort of gymnastics strength-based movements. I just really enjoy trying to figure out how to get there and what's the best way for me to get there and learning the different ways of trying to develop those those things and and if something. Um, you know, goes wrong trying to figure out how to fix that as well. So that's what I'm doing at the moment is just a lot of gymnastic strength training. And as I said, sometimes squatting, sometimes deadlifting just to keep my lower body strong and healthy and, and fully functional. So I still feel, you know, capable there. Um, but yeah, training, you know, an average day, it's probably I'll get up and uh, maybe do some sort of breathing work. Uh, Maybe if I've got time, some like just dynamic stretches and movement, some stuff that inspired from yoga, uh, definitely. 
from there, there's usually a training session in the morning that will be quite heavy on like two particular areas that I want to develop. So it could be the iron cross and a, and a one-arm pull-up that I work on, take a break for a few hours, coach, teach, and then come back and do something that's a little bit lower intensity as well. So maybe like the same area of the body, but just less intensity to develop it and more repetitions. And that's, that's most days of the week that I'll try and work on that sort of stuff. Yeah, very cool. Love watching all your videos. I'm still waiting for my um, feature on your Instagram feed and we have a deal that when I get my pull-up, I'll be um, I'll get my own little video. So looking forward to that. There's like a, a library of like Steph performance videos there. So they'll slowly start to come out. Well, when we get the bodyweight back squat and bodyweight deadlift, that is 100% going up. Oh, very good. Loving the journey. So tell us how our listeners can find you Details about social media and if your online home is ready to go. Yeah, sure. So I've got a, a website in the making at the moment, which will be released soon. Um, but until then, you can go to my Facebook page. You can just find me at uh, Paris Little Strength and Performance Coach. Along with that, the same name, but for uh, my Instagram page as well. And the best means to contact me would be via email. And that's simply Paris E Little at gmail.com. Beautiful. So, I'll along with go on. Um, mm. sorry, yeah, we're uh, currently running classes at Wellwood in Elwood also. And to find out more information about those classes, you can go to wellwood.com as well. Beautiful. So, head to the show notes team for more information, and I'll put the social media links online so you can go and check out all the videos. Um, and get in touch with Paris if you've got any questions or certainly if you're looking um, to get some support with your movement or mobility or strength and conditioning. Thanks so much for your time today, Paris. I'll see you very soon, but um, hope to have you back on The Real Food Reel in the near future. Excellent, Steph. Thanks very much. I'll see you soon. Thanks again. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.